Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Caring for EOE podcast. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to have Sarah Gray and her daughter, Bella, all the way from Australia, join me in a conversation. Hi, Sarah and Bella. How are you? Hi, Susie. Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Oh, well, I'm so thrilled. It's the morning for me and the evening for you, and we're um, half a world away from each other, but so much of what our stories have are in common, and I'm excited about our conversation today. So I'm going to launch right in. Um, so Sarah, you are the founder and president of OSEE Inc. And I'd love to have you tell us more about it and what inspired you to start it. You know, okay, so OSEE is Australia-wide charity and we um, help people with eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorders, including eosinophilic esophagitis. And in 2009, because back when Bella was four months old and in 2005, then she um, started failing to thrive and then we had um, lots of doctor appointments, specialist report appointments, tests, of course, and then eventually she was referred to a gastroenterologist. So they suspected celiac disease at the time and then she had an endoscopy and then she was diagnosed with eosinophilic esophagitis, which, of course, we'd never heard of. There wasn't much information about it at the time. And, um, yeah, so then after many years after that of feeling sort of isolated and frustrated with hardly information about it, um, in Australia, I I had this thing like, do you remember the movie The Field of Dreams with yeah. Kevin Costner? Yes, yeah. of course. So it was like if I build it, they will come. So I thought if I build a website, which which I did, and then we started meeting more people <laughs> in a similar situation. You don't even know that movie, do you, Bella? No, I don't. Oh, watch that's it so one funny. Day. Yeah. <laughs> That's, but Mom, that was my inspiration, obviously. Mum yeah. told me the storyline of the um, of the movie with this first, though, so I sort of have an idea. Absolutely. Well, and Bella, you're now uh, 16 years old, and you have um, grown up with your mom doing this and, and everything that comes with your diagnosis, and I can't wait to hear more about your story. Um, but first, I wanted to just say how incredible it has been to talk with you offline and to learn about um, how you've really taken your journey and um, and embraced it and become the person you are today. So I'm sort of giving a precursor for what we're going to talk about, but I just wanted to acknowledge um, just how incredible it is to have you join us in this conversation. Well, thank you. Aww. So, um, so Bella, I actually would love to keep going in our conversation with you. And so you're 16 and you're in high school in Australia. And there's a little bit of a difference where um, at 16, you, you can complete your, your time in high school and then you're off to pursue a, a career. Could you tell us more about where you are before we look back on where you've been? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in grade 10 at the moment at school. Um, we, there's two more years you can have at school, like to, all the way up to grade 12. But I am leaving at the end of um, and the end of this year, and hope, like going to to do TAFE. Um, hopefully, I mean like a photography course because I do wildlife photography, and then um, in the near future, um, doing some certificates in um, in and captive animals and animal studies, and then um, with the goal towards working in a zoo and stuff like that. 
Oh, that's so neat um, to have found your passion both for animals in the zoo and also your photography. And it sounds like those passions have also helped you kind of through the tougher times um, over the years. Is that kind of a fair way of thinking about it? Yeah, I really think that having something like that motivates you and a passion, um, whether or not it's, you know, photography or hobby or just even like friends, um, something that can be a break from reality because um, I know you know going to so many doctor's appointments and and hospital's appointments can feel really suffocating and having something that you can um, you know have a break from and then you know be able to um, really enjoy life I mean you know um, is just a really great thing that everyone should really have. Oh, that's really inspiring. Well, a lot, much like my son, my son is almost two and he was diagnosed um, just a few months ago. So not far from the 18 month old diagnosis that you had, both you and he, you know, have always known this to be a part of your life. And there's been a lot to your journey. Can you tell us a little bit, either some of your early memories or some of the most uh, meaningful parts of your journey to help us understand what it's been like for you? Well, I mean, I don't remember much. <laughs> I don't know why. I just I really don't. Um, but I remember um, in school, I, I really did struggle um, making friends and with people just not really understanding. And I think growing up with um, my condition, I just, I was, I felt like I was more mature in a way. I was open to like the idea, like I knew that I was different and some people just didn't understand that. I think, like, raising awareness, like what my mum's doing, um, so that more people can know about um, conditions that I have and other other conditions that is really important. And, and I think a big, like, issue for me was that, like, I just didn't really enjoy eating back then. And I know that sounds crazy because, you know, I'm a teenager now. I love to eat. Um, <laughs> and now, like, dinner's my favourite part of the day. I just, like... The whole dads think about, oh, I can't wait to go home and eat dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think yeah. It's, it's you been... were, we were talking about earlier about remembering back when Bella had a feeding tube. So right. when she was seven, she had a feeding tube up until age 12. And we were just talking before going like, you know, what was so hard about eating then? You know, was it more, do you remember the trauma? You know how she said she didn't remember anything yeah. much? I think it's just blocks things out as a way of coping for things because sure. obviously – um yeah and with the thing at school again it was very hard because with being sick so much you'd make friendships and then you'd maybe be off for a week or two if she had a bad flare-up yeah and then you'd come back and that new friend that friend might have moved on. had tried to have friends to in the time when Bella had been off and then yeah so I think that's something that is a, is hard isn't it when you've had a bit of time off school I'm sure a lot of people face that yeah oh, I think sure kids not really relating or like sharing something in common yeah not understanding I think yeah well the fact that you're saying things like I love eating now is remarkable and it gives me a lot of optimism because I'm, I'm sure along the way that that wasn't the case and you mentioned briefly Sarah about the feeding tube can you tell us more about some of the decisions that you've made over the years for you know on behalf of Bella or with Bella as she got older and kind of what some of those uh, treatment options have been and how you've navigated uh, the decisions yeah, well, we've obviously, being that she's 16 now and started this journey when she was one and a half, we've done so many different things with, like, diet and some medications she's tried. And the feeding tube, she was, so when she was first diagnosed, she was put on 
um, elemental formula, like Neocate. So she started drinking that. So she actually always did drink that from when she was diagnosed up until only 14, only a couple of years ago till she oh, stopped wow. drinking oh, yeah. it. Um, and so it was only when she sort of became teenager that she sort of started to eat like food more and eat more. Yeah. And then she didn't need the Neocate anymore. But um, so it was only for those four years between that time she was so still playing to thrive from not drinking enough um, Neocade. And in Australia we don't have, um, I think you have like a, they still call it Splash, where you can have it in copper. Yeah. Um, a copper format. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, we don't have that in Australia. So um, she didn't have that option. It was drinking drinking the, the formula and she didn't uh, drink enough of it, obviously, which is what led to the feeding tube. And uh, it was just, I guess, having good specialists around us to help us through this. So definitely a dietitian was a really good help um, in that decision and that process around the feeding tube time and, and the weaning off the feeding tube when that came to to the point where Bella decided um, that she was ready to to go off that off go off the tube and then obviously there was a wean involved a weaning off the tube and then she started drinking it again mm. for a few years after that yeah so well and I'm sure there are people out there on the brink of making the decision about a feeding tube do you have any advice or looking back on it is there anything that you would do again or do differently look if I had my time again I wouldn't have wanted to leave it as long as we did um, we were a bit worried about the impact it would have on her um, sort of and it, it probably caused more of an impact socially having it happen when she was at school. Um, everyone would be different though with what, you know, we didn't, she didn't have the best, most supportive friends at the time um, because of the struggles I guess she mentioned earlier. Right. So I wouldn't, but we were a bit like, I wouldn't say intimidated, but we just didn't know what was involved. I didn't have the information to know what we didn't know many people with the tube already. So we then we did meet someone through our support group who had a nasogastric tube, and that helped because Bella got to meet someone who had one similar. So Bella went straight through a through a gastrostomy tube though in her stomach. Um, but just even seeing someone with another feeding tube to so you didn't feel so isolated about it, and we learned a bit more about how the pump worked and that. And it was really actually really very easy and probably the the most healthiest she'd ever been in the year she had the tube, to be honest. Do you think, yeah, Bella? Yeah, I was really thriving. You were thriving. You had energy to do things when you were younger. I was sort of you didn't, not adrenaline. You didn't have energy to do after-school activities or sports. No. You just were – or even go shopping just was like, just going to Just going to school was, like, effort enough. Like, I couldn't – school, like, anything else was just too So much. you were really thrived. She thrived when she had the feeding tube. But she's thriving now. But I would say yeah. it's only been about the last year that she started to thrive. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and just sharing your story, I know is going to help other people because hearing the the description of "Hey, I wish we hadn't waited so long." That's that's part of the part of the thing that I'm navigating as a mom, going you know caring for Tyler is that uh, making these decisions. It, they they at the end of the day they land on us as his parents, and I'm always second guessing. Um, mm. and, and so. What I hear in your story is, hey, talk to people who have done it and get get advice. And there's probably a lot more information and connection and community than when you were making some of these decisions. So taking advantage of that um, would be helpful too. Yeah, definitely. I wrote a little blog at the time on our website just because I felt if if I had had something like that when I was making the decision, it would have helped. Yeah. Um, because we just didn't know many people at all with it, so it was quite scary. And then, but it wasn't scary when we had it, you know, like it was, it was easy to maintain and handle and um, manage. I mean, 
pro- I can say that probably for me, it was probably not as easy for Bella having it because she was, she did get fed at night. So for 10 hours every night, she was plugged into her pump. Okay. So, um, yeah, we learned some things about that. <laughs> like you can't have a cat loose in the house if you've got a feeding tube. Don't do that, guys. Don't do <laughs> it. To this day, the cat still sleeps in the laundry just because. <laughs> oh, my gosh. tubes do not go well together. <laughs> they like to bite tubes. Um, wow. Good learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think. I at the start of having the feeding tube, um, you know, it took a very quite a bit of time to get used to the feeling. I mean, it makes sense having some foreign object inside your stomach. Look, sounds crazy, but um, I mean, during the end, like when I was gonna get removed, like once it was removed, I felt like just this part of me was missing. And for and for like a while after that, it it felt so weird. Like I get deja vu moments where I like. <laughs> touch my belly and like twisting it yeah I used to fiddle with it sort of gross um and yeah but I think yeah that that part of me no I never regret it though it was a part of me and and I and I believe that if I didn't have the feeding tube I wouldn't be the person I am today and I think yeah Definitely. That is an incredible realization. And and to hear the concept that you really thrived, Sarah, I can imagine that was such a weight off of your shoulders to see Bella go through that in a positive way. It was because for so long having, because um, it is common for some kids to have difficulty eating with, obviously with EOE. So for Bella, she always struggled to eat enough. And there was so much focus around food. And so even though she was still drinking formula, from before she had the tube, we still, she was, as soon as we had the tube put in, the pressure was off for her to have to maintain weight by the food she ate. Mm. So she could, because she wasn't drinking enough, so she could learn to enjoy food because when she had the tube, she just ate food just for enjoyment or just as much, she she could eat as little as she, a little or as much as she wanted to because she was getting all the nutrition through her tube at night. And the pressure so is off. Absolutely. It, I think that helped to learn that food could be enjoyable because I didn't have to eat it. That makes sense. It does. It makes yeah. complete sense because I'm and, sure the years prior to that, there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of trauma dinner, at dinner times and, and then, uh, many years of, of traumatic dinner times, I would say. And then having <laughs> to um, change the mindset of once the tube was out, more like, okay, now I don't have something I can rely on like that. I need to eat food because so I can thrive like that you yeah, not, which happened with, it came with maturity when not you having were, a backup yeah. plan like yeah. but um don't feel like eating she them. also had has then a flaxus risk allergies as well which adds a different another dimension to it mm. which I I know you've got that experience with your boy as well it, yeah it really does yeah. it um <laughs> and I'm not even sure how they relate or don't relate so we're learning a ton about the two um, but Bella the one thing I can't do is ask Tyler what it's like what does it feel like both physically and emotionally and either when it comes to your anaphylaxis or your EOE could you share a little bit for the caregivers what is it like? What's it like to have a flare-up or what's it like to go through some of the, the symptoms? Yeah, well, um, the difference between um, like eosinophilic esophagitis flare-ups or like, you know, EOE flare-ups and um, anaphylaxis, they are quite different. With um, the EOE flares, mostly it will occur um, like two days, one day, like a couple of hours later, um, usually not immediately after you eat the food. Um so it can be hard sometimes not knowing, like, at the time you're eating it, it may seem like it's okay. 
but then maybe the other day, the next day, you'll have feel really, really sick in the stomach or, you know, have an itchy throat or just like feeling really like sick the next day. Whereas like anaphylaxis allergies, you know, um, like not long after you eat the food, you immediately know it's anaphylaxis. You can feel your throat boiling up and like tightening. And it is a very scary experience because like, you know, it's some, it does feel like um, just like your throat's tightening up and Mm. struggling to breathe. And I think, yeah, that's, but you acted quickly with the EpiPen. Yes, we, we that, which is really good. We, you knew yeah. it. You could tell this was not like anything I've ever had before. Yeah, I knew yeah. that it wasn't an, an EOE flare immediately, and I so I took the EpiPen oh. and um, went to the hospital and got the care I needed, and I'm all good. Oh <laughs> Plus, my you, gosh! You, you knew you'd eaten the allergen at the time after you had the feeling. Yeah, yeah. I had a. I accidentally ate my sister's gingerbread instead of mine. <laughs> my mistake, completely. But <laughs> I've learned from my experience now. Always triple dipple check. Right, right. Well, and having the EpiPen on you and acting quickly, we hear so many stories about people saying, just don't hesitate and the advice that they give. That's true. And Bella doesn't go anywhere like without her EpiPen, obviously. She has two EpiPens and they go to her at school. They go with her when she does her photography. They go with her when she goes shopping. They're yes, just everywhere. Always, never lose my yeah, side. And she knows to always read ingredients herself um, before. What we buy, we read, I don't know what you do, but like for us, we do triple check because I especially after that um, reaction, it was only two years ago. So we'd had reactions when she was younger to um, egg when she was younger, um, which was about three. And then at age seven, she reacted to fish. And then we didn't even really say what she's allergic to. So she's allergic to milk, egg, fish and chicken. And then it was it was a milk reaction about two years ago. So that kind of, because there was a gap from like seven up till about 13, uh, it was a gap with no reactions and it, it did sort of feel, I wouldn't say we got complacent, but it just was quite a reality check when she had a reaction again um, after so long. And then now I sort of triple check everything. So we, we read the ingredients when we go shopping and then when I put them back in the, on the shelf, um, like in the pantry, and then Bella knows to read them herself before she eats anything. Mm, um, yeah. I just mean, because the- you just got to be so sure. Yes, absolutely. And the vigilance, and it is, it's still, still somewhat new to me. I mean, it's been, now been a good year, um, but the vigilance involved in reading labels and asking others to do the same, especially when Definitely. your child can't advocate for themselves yet. Yeah, I mean, and the reaction she had was actually to food I'd cooked for her sister who wanted to have the one time she'd asked, can she have real butter in a gingerbread, <laughs> um, which we just never done, never done since. And it was just purely an accident at a, at a nana's place with picking up the wrong packet that was actually her poppy's version, which was her sister's version. They do yeah. look pretty similar. And they look similar. And normally it wouldn't happen at home. Yeah, it was just one of those things. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's just mean, an unlucky event. And we yeah. live our lives and, and then we figure out how to respond if we need to. So, no, absolutely. That was Bella, the EpiPen, um, which you probably were a bit scared of before and you're not scared of now if you have to have it. Yeah, I think because yeah. I had it so young. I don't really remember mm. younger. like yeah. having it. So I was always scared, you know, it is a needle. I mean, what to be not be t- scared of, but you actually, at the moment, like you don't even really feel it like at all. I didn't really not feel yeah. it at all. No, oh, that's good to hear. And what's your trick of always having it um, on you? Do you have a cool purse or how does that work? <laughs> well, it all depends on where I go. Um, <laughs> if I'm going like photography, I'll keep it in my photography bag. Um, it is insulated. So that's a bonus. Yeah. Um, and if I'm going shopping, I'll keep it in like a little side bag. Um, 
with like my phone and a water bottle and stuff. And um, school, I have it in like a little front section with big, so that if everyone knows it's the front section, they know where it is in case I can't give it to myself. Um, so yeah. Well, and speaking of school, Sarah, could you help us understand some of what you may have needed to do to get the right support in the school setting for Bella over the years? Well, yeah, that's interesting. The, we, we did have obviously been at a few different schools and childcare centres from when you think way back from the start when she was younger. So we've had quite a journey and different things have happened along the way, but um, I don't have all night to tell you them all. But <laughs> I guess the main, the main thing is when she had the feeding tube, was, they had an aide who would help. Um, so I was getting to know, and you enjoyed that time with your aide actually. Yeah. Good chats with, good insightful chats with them. Um, we had a school nurse that was like a district school nurse. We don't really have nurses much in our actual schools here in Australia, but there might be district nurses and, and your current high school has a, has a nurse that works two days a week. So, yeah. um, she knows Bella's situation with, um, obviously Bella self-carries EpiPen now when she's in high school, but when she was in primary school. Or what we would call, well, I don't know what you call it in America, but like our primary school when she was younger, mm. she would um, have it in the yeah. in the in her classroom and in the office. She'd have heavy pens. So yeah, there's quite a process with getting like a care plan. We have in Australia an out of practice action plan, and then they obviously had a, spe- a separate care plan for when she had the feeding tube, and then they would have information about her asthma and information about her other her EOE, and yeah. So there's a fair bit of meetings with school teachers and um, principals and those sort of things to get it in place at the beginning of every year and to make sure it stays in place for the whole year. Sure. And are there any learning plans, especially you mentioned there were times where she needed to be out of school for a period? Uh, We don't have one of the plans like what I know you have in the States, the IEP. I'm not sure how you call it there, but I've mentioned before in some groups. (laughs) Yeah, we have Uh, IEPs and 504s and, yeah, a couple of options. Yeah, no, we don't. We don't have, we do have sort of more like a kid's, uh, sorry, like a child's uh, health plan or you could just, it's more like they have the anaphylaxis action plan so the school knows that there are have anaphylaxis risk allergies mm-hmm. and then, yeah, it is actually harder when it comes to trying to explain to the school about the uh, EOE and what might be involved in the care about that. But with, yeah, so n- not a specific plan, it's more just case-by-case basis and putting in the allergy action plans and any other plans that might be needed for the student. Mm. Yeah, that makes so Bella had had a had an an aid assistance for only for the feeding tube time because she did get taken out of school or at lunchtime to go to get fed. But that was only for four years of her school then. Four years of primary school. Yeah. Yeah. She the aim was to get it out before she started high school and and you did achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did. Well, and that's great. And it really is clear to me, Bella, how much you have taken responsibility for those decisions or for your your food. And um, and that's just a real credit to you and speaks to what you said, that you probably grew up a little bit faster than maybe some other kids. Yeah. I don't really think that is necessarily a bad thing. I actually think it's a really good thing. I um, I think having my eyes open has, has not just opened um, my eyes up about my disorder and living with something that's you know being a bit different to everyone else but it also opened me up to um other people and um being able to um try and be try and understand other people as well um it's really important because i mean i wish some people would come up to me and and would want to sorry um spend time with me and stuff (laughs) and someone came up to me 
So I think that learning from what I've done as a child can help me um, make someone feel better. You're very good at empathy. You are. Yeah, <laughs> very good that's, that's an incredible way to think about it and, and such such a credit to, to your partnership with your family too and how they've, they've helped support you over the years so that you can then be supportive of others. And I can imagine through OSEE that you're also an incredible voice and advocate um, for patients. I like to think so. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she does help out a lot too with things like over the years with videos and media stuff. And yeah, yeah anyway, I can help. I want to help. Oh, you're my mallet person. <laughs> you help put that together. Well, and you've also turned um, um, Bella's story into a children's book, as well as another one from your organization. Can you tell us a little bit about um, about your book? Yeah, sure. We've got actually had three children's books that Aussie has published, and the first one is called Meet Arabella, and that's basically a story I wrote about Bella's diagnosis journey. And then we've got a book called Being Henry, which our vice president Mercedes wrote about her son Henry. Um, so that tells a story of a boy called Henry with living with EOE. And then Mercedes and I wrote together a book called Olivia and Kate. And that's about our the siblings of Bella and Henry. Um, and that's like I do have another daughter called Olivia who's who's 13 or 14. So just turned 14. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that that's the um, that's the story of what siblings could face and some of the challenges or the feelings they might feel having a sibling with going through a medical journey. And that's an impressive story to tell because you're right that there are more than just the the patient in the story. And so to be able to bring another way to think about how it impacts the entire family is really helpful. Uh, so does Olivia like the story as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She probably helped write it at the time. I can't remember. It's a few years ago. But yeah, yeah, I remember. She helped write it. She She's got to good. decide what little... little she had to have yeah. like a little... Um, I had a butterfly, didn't I? Yeah, on every page, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's like um, the illustrator who's Peter Carnivus, who's a, a well-known um, illust- author and illustrator here. Are beautiful. Just fortunate they that he lives in our, in our region and um, he volunteered to um, illustrate the book for us, which we just think look beautiful illustrations. And on every page there's like the little character has a little – You've got a butterfly. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember what Olivia's was. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's incredibly beautifully um, illustrated. And is there, could you tell us how we could possibly get the book, especially here in the U.S.? I'm not sure if that's even possible, but. <laughs> we do have them on our, you know, on our website in the gift shop section and we do um, send them overseas. Um, they're only like, I think, $16 for, oh, um, including, including delivery and uh, including um, shipping to, to America, I should say. And then here we also donate them to um, Australian hospitals and medical clinics and stuff to have in their waiting rooms to help raise awareness. Oh, so, that's, yeah. that's really great. Thank you for doing that. What a gift to the whole community. Um, yeah, and- I just want to help get the word out about it. And I think just and it, I think they're a, a book that, well, we've had good feedback about the books and then it can help raise awareness for something they might not have heard of before. Yes. And speaking of raising awareness, you are on the heels of your EUS Awareness Week in Australia. Tell us about that and what's um, what's in store. Yes. Yeah, so National EOS Awareness Week, that's 4th to 10th of August. And that's the week where we do all we can, like similar to what your National Eosinophil Week in America is and or internationally is. And we just raise as much awareness as we can, shine a light on the disorders that people haven't heard of, it can help people maybe to get diagnosed if they can learn about it and think, oh, that sounds like maybe something we're going through. 
uh, or my, my, you know, as you know, adults can get diagnosed with it all or children and go see a doctor about it and also raise much needed funds for Australian medical research here um, through our fundraising campaign through the week. Big, the big week. <laughs> big week for sure. <laughs> For sure. That, oh, and that's really exciting. And it's, um, it makes sense that it's, you know, separate from some of the other um, times so that we can continue to, to raise global awareness too. I think so. Yeah. Well, we do it separately and oh, we always support the international week as well. But in Australia, it always falls on the same week as Food Allergy Week. Um, so we, being a smaller country and that, we want to make sure that uh, ES and Asili, gastrointestinal disorders gets their own um, spotlight. So that's why we do it a bit later in the year. So we can celebrate both weeks because, as you know, we're passionate about food allergy. It's all related. Um, it, it, you're right. It all goes hand in hand. And I love the image of celebrating and having passion around this because we've talked about you, know, you really don't uh, ask for this. And it's not a club you knew existed and you kind of didn't even know <laughs> that, that that you would be in it. Um, but once you're in it, creating that community and awareness, I think that's what's going to help help all of us get through kind of the tougher times um, in service. Yeah, well, we like better. to share the, the positive stories as well. And um, you've got to try to find that balance because... Obviously, it's it's really hard for, um, you know, kids going through this and even adults going through it and what they have to deal with. So yeah, positivity is um, very important. We want to let them, you know, let people know they're not alone on that journey. We need to talk about the bad stuff, um, the hard times as well. But then also, there's positive stories that come out of that. Yeah. But um, we need to share. We all need to have hope. We hope yeah. for a cure. We're not gonna lie. Like it, it is hard, and and I mean, like I'm be honest. We'll be honest here, but. Um, it does get better and like I think that something really important like you know it's not always going to be this hard things there will be a, a break and there will be relief so yeah. and that is much needed for for where I am uh, where I consider we're sort of at the beginning of the journey and we'll have similar decisions along the way that you have all had so to for me to flash forward um 14 years from now when Tyler's your age, it does, it gives me such hope and optimism that he'll have a story to tell that's, that's equally as compelling as yours. So thank you from, from me and from others for that. <laughs> well, thank you. I think you're doing amazing with your podcast, bringing people together. I've enjoyed listening to them all and hearing people's stories. So I think that's helping a lot of people. I mean, it's helping people no matter where they live. Oh, well, thank so you for that. Me as well. Yeah. Great job at doing it. Thank you. Well, it's been a passion project and helped me channel. I think you we started by talking about having something that you can really use to channel your your energies um, into something positive. And that's that is the way that I've been seeing these conversations is it's giving me something to something more um, optimistic to think about. <laughs> How I started the charity, too, I was feeling so like um, down the dumps. <laughs> I don't know. I, it was very, uh, very sad time at the time. Yeah. But like, what can I do? Like, how can I do all I can for Bella? And obviously, then all kids and everybody, all adults with it, like Bella. And that's what led me to do what I do too. Yeah, and the the word isolation came to mind when you were saying what it, you know, what it was like for you when she was first diagnosed. That's how I felt because all of a sudden I didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't know anybody who had it, and it just it felt pretty isolating. So. It's not very common or like you don't hear about it every day. Yeah. Well, we were talking before we started recording about birthdays over the years um, and with, with one nearing. Um, tell us about the cakes that you've enjoyed or the tips and tricks you've learned about making um, making some things for celebrations. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, Bella's 16th birthday. <laughs> yeah, so um, we, we, were, we were joking before about all the different, well, not joking, but talking about all the cakes we've made. Well, Bella was joking, teasing me about some of the cakes I made. Because some pretty bad ones. Though. When she was very, um, very restricted diet in some of the earlier years with being, like obviously she's still milk and egg free, but when she was also gluten free and corn free and it was very hard to find sort of, um, safe foods or safe cake recipes, but I'm not sure about if you've noticed a big difference in America with an increase of safe products, but in Australia, yeah. definitely over the last 10 years, a lot more has come on the market than what there was before. But what my favourite thing to do is now, like, is we we have a safe packet mix, and this did work with a gluten-free packet mix, so one of the free from, but for now she can have um, a packet mix that has wheat in it. And we just put in um, like a cup of, lemonade or soda water and that's your substitute for your milk and eggs and butter and that and all you need is a packet mix and the soda water it's and weird, it's, but it's, it's so good <laughs> yeah, I love and it works. That. well that's incredible <laughs> so that's what i think we're going to be doing we're doing a cheat next um for her 16th birthday that's yeah who has time to make an actual with ingredients um <laughs> no but um well i yeah, I would, but it actually turns out better with the soda water. Um, well, and I find that but, hysterical because somebody had to figure that out along the way, and I'm not very inventive in the kitchen uh, or adventurous for that sake. So this hack sounds incredible. I'm going to try it. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, our friend came up with that. Our friend Becca told us that who has a who had a daughter with has a daughter with BOE as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah that was from another that. allergy mum. Yeah, um, and I remember when I was younger, I oh, the beautiful, beautiful cakes I had when I was younger. Um, what happened? Um. <laughs> <laughs> but um sorry mummy um but I used to have well because I had birthday parties back then um I don't really want to have birthday parties now it's like play monopoly um yeah had these big cakes and then I would have like so say it'd be a giant penguin cake and I'd have like the penguin would be innovative and the penguin would be like holding a balloon and the balloon would be like a cupcake and the cup my safe um my my safe cupcake and people would eat the ca- the actual cake um, because it just uh, back then it just wasn't really possible to make uh, a gluten free milk free egg free cake that was stable enough that was um, make people would cake. actually want to eat like <laughs> I know that sounds bad but um, now there's so many different options and you honestly can't really taste the difference yeah well I don't know if I regret doing that I wish I'd made everybody eat your cakes but to be honest the background of it was on like her first birthday party when she was diagnosed and we made like a, an allergy friendly cake that everybody made everybody eat it and all the kids at the party like they all just spat it out in their bowls <laughs> oh, yeah. like no one wanted to eat it so from that point that's when I started making like a cake that like the, an average cake like a, a regular cake I guess and then that's when we incorporated Bella's safe cupcake not touching the other cake because obviously it's anaphylaxis allergies. As yeah. Bella said, it was like a completely separate, like a balloon or something. So I don't know if that was the right thing or not thing to do. I but mean, that was what we did because Bella didn't like to see her friends not enjoy her <laughs> cake either. But I don't know. Some people would have everybody eat I mean, this. I enjoyed the little red balloon. I you mean, liked I take... being, having separate cake. But, I mean, yeah. I I liked being special and having my own little cupcake it, balloon. It, it depends how restricted. I mean, this was when Bella was heavily restricted and pretty much only had a couple of ingredients, so you can't make much of a cake of that. But sure. now, obviously, the last few years when she's been able to eat a lot, a lot more, we all eat the exact same cake. So what Bella eats is what we eat. 
for, right. for her birthday. So, yeah. Well, and you really seem to have struck the balance between servicing everybody's needs, which is so not easy. And I love the innovative way that you did that. And, and Bella, how much you appreciate the fact that you had your special cake. Your mindsets are just incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. You've <laughs> given me some good ideas. I'll be scheming over the next month to fit for Tyler's birthday that's coming up. <laughs> it's so exciting. I know. I know. Well, you both are incredible and remarkable in your stories, your relationship, and all that you do for the community of EOE. Oh, and thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. And I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> I know you've well, got... Well, thank you. We've enjoyed talking to you, too, well, over the last couple of weeks. We've enjoyed chatting to you and look forward to following all your future podcasts oh great well i wish you guys the best of luck i can't wait to follow along especially with all that you've got ahead for you bella and sarah thank you for for what you're doing for ocee and i wish you the best of luck for eus awareness week in a couple of weeks thank you so much oh thank you so much (laughs) thank you bye